1: I'm starting off with another Rebecca Solnit quote because she's talking to me, guys. This is in a piece about heroism. She said, Institutional authorities often behave badly in disasters, in part because they assume that the rest of us will behave badly in the power vacuum disasters bring on. And thus, they too often turn humanitarian relief into aggressive policing, often in protection of property and the status quo rather than disaster victims. But... Ordinary people generally behave magnificently, taking care of each other and improvising rescues in the conditions of survival, connecting with each other in ways they might not in everyday life, and sometimes finding in that connection something so valuable and meaningful that their stories about who they were and met and what they did shine with joy. That is I found in disasters a window onto what so many of us really want and don't get, a need we hardly name or recognize, which she calls public love, the sense of meaning, purpose, power, belonging to a community, a society, a city, a movement. Welcome to the podcast that's all about the voice, which means it's all about power. Who has it, how we get it, how we sound when we have it. I'm your host, Samara Bay, and this is Permission to Speak, where we can throw all our best ideas about how to get ourselves heard into the pot and start. So today's episode, we are bringing to you from our respective homes because the last few weeks since quarantine started, we've been able to use episodes that we already had in the can. And now we're flying free and not in the iHeart studios and finding uh, our home studio madness. But what's glorious about it, besides the fact that we're in the comfort of our own homes, obviously, is... Um, It's given us a chance to think about what we really want to do next during this bizarre, bizarre time. And one thing that came up right away was a mailbag episode, because we've gotten some great questions from people. And because really my intention with this podcast is to make sure that it's not just big cool ideas about the voice and about power, but also deeply practical micro suggestions to help people in their regular, actual lives. And by the way, our regular lives are weird as fuck right now, but we can still use this stuff because either, you know, we're dealing with newfound issues over Zoom or with our families, or however we're conducting quote unquote business right now, or we can use this strange time sort of outside of regular life to work on what really matters to us in terms of how we present in the world so that when we are able to go back into public again, we're bringing a version of ourselves that feels more whole than we were bringing before. So I have my stunning friend and producer, Catherine Burt-Canton. I was gonna say with me in the studio, metaphorically. When no.
2: metaphorically with me in the studio. <laughs> I can see you. I can see hi, you. Hi, I know. There. We're
1: zooming. We're doing all the things. Cat, hi.
2: Good morning. I think this would be an appropriate time to say top of the morning to ya. <laughs> that is something just for all of you out there, um, that I I quite often like to say to Samara. And uh, she looks at me and says Cat, we're not doing we're not doing dialect for this for this podcast. And um, I don't care. Today we are.
1: <laughs> Maybe this is the episode where I finally coach you on how to make that sound slightly more
2: Irish. <laughs> oh, that was um, that was Australian. <laughs> oh! oh, my God. Oh,
1: my ears are really losing their, their touch.
2: <laughs> how could I not have known? No, that was oh, there goes Michelle, my next door neighbor walking by walking her dog taco.
1: So yeah, Kat, tell people where you're recording from.
2: Yeah, let's paint the picture real quick. So currently, I am outside of my beautiful apartment in my Toyota Prius with a podcast studio that we've set up inside of it. Mark, our engineer, producer, and my husband is inside our house. Convenient. Mark, can we get a hello?
0: Uh, Hello, everyone. How are you doing this fine morning, day? I love it. You might be able to hear trolls in the background. (gasps)
2: Samara, so can you tell us a little bit about where you're at?
1: I'm uh, on the floor, on a, to be fair, on a pillow on the floor, leaning against a favorite blanket of mine that has cheetahs on it. I'll take a picture, I'll post it. It'll be great. And uh, I'm, you know, trying to get the sound to bounce in only the right ways and not the wrong ways with a little bit of um, a jerry rigged setup here and uh, trying to embrace how chill it is and how kind of bohemian. I feel sitting on the floor cross-legged doing this. Um, It's great. (laughs) We're getting
2: back to basics, guys.
1: It makes me think of something I posted uh, on the Permission to Speak pod um, Instagram feed earlier this week. I'm not going to read all of it, although you can go there to see it. But the last line is, um, this is by a um, a therapist, a licensed uh, therapist who says, when in the midst of trauma, just getting by emotionally and functionally is okay. Lowering expectations and being kind to yourself and others is vital. And I feel like our... Uh, amazing podcast setups here are a perfect example of that.
2: All right. So let's dive into this party. So our first question is from Carly. She's an anesthesiologist, and she is currently working in the ICU. And she wrote in saying, hi, I love this podcast. You're doing an amazing job. And I find it so thought-provoking. The episode with Shanta made me cry. I was holding on to a toxic friend group, and she helped me to admit to myself that I was allowed the space to know that I don't need their validation. I just thought that was beautiful. Yeah. So her first question, though, is, I've been thinking about this since the first episode. So I'm a physician, and therefore I work with a lot of elderly patients. I have had mentors tell me in medical school that I need to lower my voice so that those with hearing loss, mostly elderly people, can hear me better. The reason is that we often lose our high-frequency hearing first before our low frequency, but I'm starting to wonder if it's also a generational thing that a lower voice will be more appealing to an elderly patient when I approach them as a medical authority. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I wonder what this lower voice means, if that's about pitch or about volume, but it sounds like it's meant to be about pitch. I uh, I don't know about the losing the upper register, but I do know for everybody that when we're in um in a room with a lot of din, a lot of you know, whether it's a, a party context or you know, a medical whatever any 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 room that has a lot of sound bouncing around, if we can go up a little bit, actually, it cuts through, especially if you kind of can sense what the general din sound in the room is if you can go a little above that. It's a great way to be heard at a party, quite honestly. But what she's asking about is obviously more complicated than that because there's also an element of care involved, right? and And what she's talking about is making sure that people who are older are really understanding what she's saying. and this is truly about communication, right? And my feeling about that is there's a few things. One, we often, and I, I think she has a question coming up about masks. But right now, if everybody's wearing a mask, there's a second level of this, but just in general, if we're approaching people who are hard of hearing, what we can do is remember that we, I mean, this sounds ridiculous, but we can remember that we have mouths. And like, we're often thinking about the sound just coming out from like the back of, you know, from our throat out, but our lips, the amount that we actually, what they say in the acting world is use your consonants, the amount that we actually can use our mouth to make sure that we're communicating our thoughts Is so much more than we sometimes give ourselves credit for. We actually do use our mouth like that if we really know that we need to be heard. If it's the seventh time that somebody has, you know, misunderstood us and we're like, no, what I'm trying to say is suddenly we realize like, oh, I have all these tools at my disposal. I'll use them. But, But maybe in this context, it would be helpful to know that you don't have to wait for the seventh time, right? You can actually just say to yourself... What can I do to make sure that I actually use my lips, I use my tongue, I actually am communicating the thought.
2: And so Carly's in her residency right now, so she's really trying to set the tone, you know, during this wild time with COVID and having to be more protected, but also moving forward as a female physician and using her voice and standing in her power. And so she has a few questions here, uh, which I love. So the next one is, I've been told by multiple people that I have a soft voice. And I think a lot of that has to do with my constantly being told by society to only take up so much space as you have said in many episodes. But I was wondering if you would like to comment on my projection a little, maybe some tips on how to make a soft voice heard without feeling like I'm shouting or any other thoughts that you have on that.
1: I love this. And, you know, without having her in front of me, I can't tell her exactly what the cure all is. But in general, for people, yeah, breathing makes a huge difference. And breathing doesn't just mean like hyperventilating, it means using. The extra space that we have with our ribs expanding, with the stuff underneath our ribs expanding, if we can get that far down, which sometimes like yoga or running around the block, like helps our body remember like, oh, I know how to breathe myself. I remember, you know, that kind of thing. But it's not just about the breathing. It's about the fact that when the breathing comes through our vocal cords, it vibrates in a way that suggests confidence. And if you don't breathe like that, it does just feel a lot lighter, like you're just cutting yourself off from your power supply. And that is a way to communicate. I I think having a soft voice has its benefit. But working on what is it to get this sound out, I think, is something that she could do, like, completely in the privacy of her own home. And maybe this is the perfect time to do it when we're all, you know, literally always in the privacy of our own home. Uh, Except when we have children staring at us while we're trying to go pee. (laughs) But... Working on um, moving around a little bit, like this is going to sound very like acting school, but really it just works for absolutely everybody because we all have bodies. But, you know, moving around and actually making your body kind of vibrate a little, like like dancing or, or just like, a, like bouncing a little bit on your, on your toes. And while, while breathing and just doing like a ha huh sound, you'll end up with like ha, which sounds crazy. But what it really is, is saying like, oh, my body has other ways of making sound come out of my mouth. Because it sounds like what she's talking about is just patterns, right? That she's habits that she's fallen into for completely understandable reasons. But what we can do in the privacy of our own home that we then can sort of build up to the confidence to do outside of our own home is I have other options. I have other options. Let me just try them out. Let me see how weird they feel and sit with that weirdness and become more and more comfortable with that weirdness over time. Which is, again, not to say that softness is bad, but just to say you have more options at your disposal and soft really works in certain contexts. And then not in others. And you really want to be as absolutely straightforward as possible when you want to be, you know?
2: Carly has another question. One more question. She says, sorry, by the way, that she has so many thoughts. Don't apologize, Carly. No, not at all. Don't oh, apologize. It's is great. <laughs> So Carly's in her residency, and she just finished her ICU rotation. She has a week off, and then she's jumping into the COVID ICU. And so in the era of this coronavirus, we are all wearing masks at the hospital. This has really created some disconnect in communication, and it makes me wonder how much we rely on lip reading to understand people. Additionally, it takes away a huge portion of facial expression, and I have found myself trying to use my eyes more dramatically to get my point across.
1: There's a few things. One, yeah, masks. I mean, you know, the whole idea of um, communication, if we have all of our faculties, uh, is that we are thinking about matching, as it were, our body language, our tone of voice, and the content of what we're saying. We talked about this a little bit in the John Neffinger interview. The dream is that those things feel like they're in alignment, right? That what you're saying and how you're saying it and what your body is doing are all telling the same story. When we suddenly don't have the use of our mouths, our tone of voice is is maybe really muffled, then, you know, what we have is the content of what we're saying in our body language. So, what she's talking about is, like, you know, using eyes a little bit more. Obviously, that can feel a little crazy-making, but to the extent that that works, yeah. I mean, compensating is what we're talking about here. The other thing, though, content-wise... In a fast-moving situation where there's like, you know, a lot of what we're all reading about that's happening on the floor of these, you know, hospitals, obviously just do what's absolutely necessary to get the information across, whether it's just about literally being louder to get through the mask or whatever. But if what we're talking about is these nuanced moments when she really wants to reach out to another human and make them feel heard, I think it's a little bit of the consonant stuff that I was talking about before mixed with actually using phrases that maybe you've practiced ahead of time. Stuff like, you know, you can't see my mouth right now, but if you could, you would know that. Right. I mean, we can just come up with stuff to acknowledge the weirdness of this moment that then doesn't feel like, should I say something or shouldn't I? They don't know I'm smiling. They don't know, you know, we can do what we can't, even if it's just to say, I have a mask on, but if I didn't, you'd better understand what I'm trying to say, which is, you know? Um, the other thing is all of us have experienced mask wearing at this point. It is so, it is so weird feeling, right? But it is something we can practice. I mean, like, even if we wanted to, like, have a FaceTime date with our best friend and both wear masks for two minutes. I mean, not for longer than that because, you know, one of the dreams, one of the benefits of actually doing FaceTime is that we're not sharing germs. But, you know, literally, that's it's kind of a ridiculous and and delightful experience. Uh, Exercise to put a mask on for two minutes with your best friend and see. Like, how do I
2: communicate? We could turn that into a good game. I mean, I'd be
1: interested if anybody wanted to try it and let me know. Like, what do you find? What do you find about how much more eyes or eyebrows you use? Or do you not need to? Does it turn out you don't need to? Because actually, you know we are much better communicators than we think we are, you know? Just see what happens and see what you are getting from the person that you're talking to as well as what you're getting from your own, you know, internal signals.
2: Well, and I think also, Carly, that's such a thoughtful question. The fact that you're actually, you care enough about your patients to want to make them feel grounded and and heard and connect with them during this time. That alone in itself is such a gift that you're giving to them and that you carry with you. And to remember that when you're going in, I mean... These are real difficult times and it's difficult to relay news to patients and to make them feel at ease during this time. And the fact that you're taking that into consideration is is really beautiful. And also, if anyone out there wants to create some sort of clear mask, maybe that would be helpful. <laughs> that's that's what we need to spend our money on right now. Oh, ay, yeah, yeah. ay, um, But it
1: does also make me think of what you were just saying, which is true uh, and beautiful. It makes me think of the body language component as well. I mean, I was talking about facial expression, but obviously our actual bodies, you know, we we can all do things to seem more open and to seem more closed. And we, all, we, we sort of know generally, socially, that like crossing our arms in front of our in front of our bodies uh, is a bit of a closed off gesture also totally acceptable to do when you're feeling closed off or when you want to protect yourself so i am not saying there's anything wrong with it but i am saying that you know an awareness of what we're doing with our body is another element in in communicating to people who you really want to get through to
2: a 6 foot lean in <laughs> Um, Okay, our next question is from Sally. Sally's a loud woman. I've always been called loud. I have professionally been shamed for being loud. I am made fun of for being loud. If anyone I consider a friend or family member calls me loud or tells me to pipe down, I get so sad and so frustrated. The kicker is that I'm really not that loud. I'm not yelling or shouting or even straining my voice. This is my natural volume, but I've been shamed for it for my entire life. That's my vocal drama.
1: God. Let's take a second for Sally. Sally, I hear I know. you. I mean, I there's there's two different there's two different things going on here. And I don't know, you know, without knowing her better, which which it is, or maybe it's both. But first of all, I just want to acknowledge for everybody listening in who's like, is that me? <laughs> you know, a lot, a lot of us are, a lot of us I should say deal with what Carly was talking about in terms of being soft, but a lot of us are the opposite. We've overcompensated or we've just compensated. And people have told us our whole lives that we're too much, too big, too loud, right? All the things. And who knows, who knows if that's because we're actually filling up the space more than we need to, or that we are just not what, you know, historically society deems uh, a good woman to be. So for all of us who heard something in what Sally just said, you know, I just want to acknowledge that and that we are all, um,
2: there's a lot of us is what I want to say. I'm one of them. I'm one of you, Sally.
1: The other thing, though, is it sounds from the way that she's written this like she really has a trigger around this, a completely understandable one. It sounds like it's been a lifelong thing. But I wonder if that stopped her from actually exploring a little bit with curiosity why it is that people are saying that. Is it because the content of what you're saying is unpleasant and, you know what, people can fucking deal with it because, you know, you're the boss? Or is it that you are pushing too much out, whether it's, you know, content or emotion or just sound? But that feeling of pushing, which may be pushing through these this sort of scar tissue of years and years and years and years of people saying this about you, that, that may very well just not literally not be helping you get what you want. So on the one hand, we can say you can embrace yourself and who you are. On the other hand, we can say if you're doing things that feel out of joint with the room that you're in, with the people you're talking to, it's not helping you. And so I wonder if there's a little gentleness you can have with yourself around exploring what it is to actually just fill the space, to actually just throw the ball of thought to the person you're talking to and not harder than it needs to be thrown and not filling the space louder than it needs to be. And just wonder, you know, without shortchanging yourself or your ambitions or your, you know, heart. Uh, just wonder, what else can I do here? What else can I do with all of the tools I have in my in my body to actually get myself heard? And then there's also this other side of it. There's something about teaching the people in your life. If you're interested in doing this exploration, teaching the people in your life that you're interested in exploring it and getting real feedback from them and saying, basically, uh, creating a sense of allyship, saying, I'd love you to help me figure out how to communicate better with you. Because then we're all on the same team. Because there's something in that letter that feels very much me versus the world. And I so hear that. I mean, I so hear that. And my heart goes out to you. But I wonder if there's a reframe there where you can enroll people in your team to solve this problem.
2: Well, you know, it actually brings me to a question that I have myself lately that keeps coming up. As I've mentioned, I have an almost four-year-old son, Jack, who is dynamic and wonderful and vibrant. And with that, he speaks very, very loud he has an amazing uh, vocabulary and he uses his voice with power and I'm proud of him for it, but it's loud. And quite often I find myself and, and my husband, but I feel more so myself, asking him to be quieter, to use his voice lower because we live in an apartment, because we have neighbors, because it's just sometimes annoying. It's And it's something that I find um, I becoming a broken record about, and I feel like with all this talk and and in working on this show that I I don't want to damage him or or make him feel smaller or, you know, what I'm trying to do is ultimately just let him know that we can hear him and he doesn't need to you know be screaming. I mean, you just solved it. That's exactly right. I think we can all,
1: whether it's to our you know children or or to other people in our lives, we can find a way to reframe you're being too loud. I mean, I wish people did that in in Sally's life Uh, because that's obviously not a helpful, you know, note that she keeps getting. If they can reframe it in terms, if we as parents in this case can reframe it in terms of, I can hear you. I'm listening. So if you're talking at a volume that really hits me, but isn't too big, I can really hear you. When it gets too small or too big, I'm not able to hear it as well. I'm always thinking, I mean, I have a five-year-old, an almost five-year-old. I'm always thinking in terms of like setting him up for success and using me as a model for like what other people in life will be like to him. So I'm always saying like, how would you, That so that's what you want. How would you go about getting what you want? Which is another way of saying, please say please, right? But but think helping him think in terms of the sort of logic of it rather than just the roteness of it. So I think there might be something there. I don't know if it will work, you know, but something in terms of, you're talking at a volume right now that's not necessary if you're talking to me. If you're just wanting to make sound, that's cool. Maybe we should go outside for a little while. Like I can tell you've got a lot of energy to burn off. But if you're trying to communicate to me, uh, you can actually do it a lot quieter. And then actually modeling as well. You know, we can model. Like, I've done a lot of like, I mean, this will probably work on the mic because this mic is so good uh, that I borrowed from I heart. But uh, I, I do a lot of like, can you hear me now? Can you still hear me? If you can hear me, then you don't have to talk that much louder than this right or even just like a little bit of a little bit of of breath and vibration behind it but really just showing it and then it becomes a game you know games games are sometimes the solution and saying like can you match this this volume and as you said and i really want to emphasize this for my own child uh, we're not in the business of telling our kids to play small but we are in the business of helping them understand that there are options that that their first way is not necessarily their best way and that reading a room is a skill that they can work on even now. And, you know, if they're in a quiet space with us, using only the energy necessary to get their point across and know less and no more is good communication, which is like a skill for life. It'll help them get what they want from us, from whoever they interact with in the future. Okay, let's take a quick break and we'll be back with more.
0: Check the backseat.
1: check the back seat. All right, come here. Check the back
2: seat. Gets in your head, right? Good, because every year dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes
1: in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot, fast, and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the back seat.
2: A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council.
3: Hey, everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff, How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts.
0: It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting.
3: Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more.
0: Here's a clip from an upcoming episode featuring the weekly home checks, Keyshawn Lane, that you won't want to miss
3: Catch new episodes of Grown Up Stuff, How to Adult every other Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Grown
0: Up Stuff.
1: Who do we have next?
2: So this is our next question from Don. I do have a question related to the use of my voice in my job. I am a fundraiser for a symphony orchestra, and I'm in my early 20s. Getting $1.2 involves a lot of talking and meeting with folks who are three to four times my age. But to be successful in fundraising, they have to, one, like me, and two, connect with me, and then three, somehow view me as a peer. Nobody wants to feel like they're donating a couple grand and the person asking could be their grandchild. So there's, like, a lot going on there. But where it really comes to a head is when somebody is complaining and angry. What are your tips for tone and inflection where I can be firm with a lot of old-ass men and not lose my sense of self-authenticity in dealing with them? Thanks in advance and stay healthy. Strength and warmth.
1: You know, we talked about this in the John Neffinger one as well. It's so important for especially young women to realize that we can be as strong as we want to be if we're also investing in how much we care about the pe- people we're talking to, right? When when strength um, doesn't work so well, I mean, these are obviously huge generalizations and, and everybody has to put their own, you know, cultural stamp on it, uh, which is a lot, much longer conversation. I'm happy to have it another time. But generally speaking... We can be firm. We can say, "No, that's not how it is," or "I need you to listen to me if we also add to it an element of "I care about you, and I want to make sure this works out okay for both of us." I sometimes call the strength and warmth uh, it's not a dichotomy. It's just like two completely different things that both can work at the same time as each other or or in opposition. I think of those two things for women, especially um It may be more helpful to think of it as not strong and warm, but assured and assuring. So when we're assured, right, we can invest ahead of time, maybe before having a difficult conversation. We can invest in thinking about the ways in which we trust ourselves. I did that one thing so well. I have this person who makes me feel great, right? All of those things that we really can. This is not the same as like an affirmation into the mirror where we're like looking into our eyes and saying, I'm so great. I can do it. You know, sometimes those work, sometimes those make us feel more like a fraud, right? It's not about saying like, I'm the greatest. It's about really thinking about like that time when that person said that or that letter I kept because it made me feel great about myself. I can just go back to that in my mind or literally read it and let those feelings take over, right? We. There's this there's this, um, this idea of code switching. I've talked about it a little bit on this show. It's it's a term that's used a lot in the African-American community to talk about the ways that people have been systematically taught that there's sort of a white white way to talk, quote-unquote a white way to talk uh, for job interviews. And then there's, you know, a, a different way to talk at home so that people don't accuse you of putting on airs. There's a lot of complicated stuff in that. But the reality is that on a linguistic level, code switching is something everybody does. It's a way of describing the way that we talk to the barista at Starbucks versus the way we talk to our mom versus the way we talk to a friend who just had a terrible tragedy. We all know how to sort of switch gears and reflect the you know person we're talking to and the tone that 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 is required in order to get what we want in that situation, whether what we want is you know a latte or to make them feel better and if we invest i think if we invest in thinking a little bit before a difficult conversation in um god that person makes me feel great or that letter i got or that comment that i got or looking at my dog's face or whatever it is makes me makes me connect with me we can like kind of a little bit code switch that version of ourselves into these conversations that seem a little difficult and might seem a little more antagonistic so that we can work on that thing i talked about with uh, Sally, a little bit of of um, enrolling them into our team. If somebody's mad at us, it's not necessarily the easiest thing to say, I hear you and we're going to solve this together. But it does seem like that's probably where the solution will lie. In terms of the age thing, I don't know how much that's projecting versus real, but I, I wonder if it will be more helpful for her to reframe it as um, people love grandchildren, right? So, uh, yes, there is obviously an element of like, are you going to take seriously a young woman on the phone who's asking for a lot of money? But uh, I think you can bring in the assured and the assuring. The assuring half of it is saying, don't worry, it's going to be great, right? The assured is I know what I'm talking about. The assuring is I've got you. And, you know, I think that kind of cuts across age. And if it doesn't, then you're dealing with an asshole. And I'm so sorry, but, you know, try to get as much money as you can out of him. <laughs> <laughs>
2: you are the future.
1: That's right. That's right. In fact, I, I I will say this also. I have a friend who's in her 20s who started a uh, really, really awesome organization for young people. And she told me... I just feel like I'm too young. People aren't. No one's going to take me seriously. And I was like, you know, considering that what you're starting to do is actually create a network for people your own age and talk to older people about trying to, you know, sponsor that sort of thing. I was so overwhelmed by the fact that she took her greatest strength, which is that she is a true representative of that generation and saw it as a weakness. And I think there's a lesson in that for all of us.
2: I love that. All right, we got a question from Leanne. Um, I feel like my speaking voice can be scratchy. It's not smooth with enough breath. I think it's nerves and stress. I think that I can sound good, but not always when I want to. I recorded a series of greeting on our organization's new phone system, and I really don't like how they sound. That's the scoop. (laughs) Any tips? Any tips? Um,
1: It is very valuable, especially if you're doing a recording of your voice, uh, to um, not feel like you're sort of. Only thinking about your own voice and and um sort of like h- hovering outside yourself lost in time and space, but rather who you're talking to. as soon as we're actually connected to who we're talking to and why we're telling them this information, we we all we all get better. So that is part of it, right? to that is part of it. Another part of it is breathing. Another part of it, I was thinking about this with an earlier question, um, but i'll I'll say it here because it's valuable for her as well. You know, part of when our voice sounds scratchy, I mean, I will say some of that is honestly just that the damage stuff that Dr. Gupta was talking about. Like some of it's just inevitable from overuse, from yelling, from going out and partying, whatever. So, you know, give ourselves a little break. But some of it is a combination of what I was talking about earlier with not breathing enough combined with there are two main places that we resonate in order to make sound come out of us. And, you know, go with me on this. Basically, there's an opening between the... um bones in our face called our mask resonance. It's below our eyes. Uh, maybe I'll post a little picture of this um, next to our nose. There you can feel it. I'm, I'm putting my fingers on it right now, my, my, my first two fingers. Uh, and it's a soft area. And when you massage it, you, st- you often end up needing to blow your nose afterwards. So massaging this area with maybe a hum sound uh, will open up this area. It worked. Uh, it, truly, I like already feel a difference. Um, it, it's just a way to remind our body to vibrate in that area, um, and then you can also just put your fingers there and just feel: is am I vibrating? Uh, mm, mm, right? Uh, mask resonance. It helps with our pinginess. Pinginess is just a, a word that some of us use to just mean like that 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 really present forward sound. The other place that we vibrate is our chest, our chest resonance. And that you can put your hand on your chest right now and talk, uh, hi, my name is, and see if you vibrate. And stereotypically, um, women have more mask resonance and men have more chest resonance. Uh, the dream scenario is a, is a is a perfect blend of the two, so that all, sort of like all the parts of our body that can vibrate when we talk are all vibrating and literally those sound waves are, are leaving our body and landing on the people that we want to be talking to. Um... And what's interesting about it is that if we really do have too much mask resonance and not enough chest resonance, um here's my here's my example. If we don't have enough chest resonance, we do sound pingy, we sound very forward and present and present is good, but we do tend to have this sound where we sort of cut ourselves off from our sense of power. We're often not breathing. It's a good solution for not, you know, taking up any space in the world. We're just right here. The opposite and again, stereotypically, this is this is a, a male thing, but, you know, obviously many people are outliers for either of these. But if you don't have any mask resonance and you're only chest resonance, you feel a little bit underwater. People don't quite know why you don't seem present, but you don't seem present. So ideally, you have a blend of the two. That may be something that would be useful for her to practice before the next time that, you know, she has to speak in front of people or on a recording. And there are some sort of simple exercises that mostly have to do with kind of jumping around and dancing and just like breathing at the same time and making sounds happen. There's basically only three things you need to do ever to warm yourself up vocally, three categories. The first one is to get yourself breathing, whether that is running around the block or, you know, dancing to Beyonce or lying on your back on the floor and actually just trying to get your... Um, body to sort of relax and and, you know, actually use itself well rather than kind of get tight. Um then then the second thing is connecting breath to sound. So whether that's often that's like if you are lying down on the ground, then you start to get up, you start to roll yourself up, you start to move your body a little bit, Ha-ha-ha-ha-ha. And then the final thing is articulators. That's your lips, your teeth, your tongue, your jaw, just seeing like, oh, do I have some jaw tension? Okay, yeah, I'm a human. So <laughs> I have jaw tension, and seeing does your tongue have some tightness? Right, you can pull your tongue out. Some people even like to hold on to their tongue. Some people hate that. Totally fine either way. But if you hold on to your tongue and try to count to ten, right, you really realize that all those that your tongue is a huge muscle. It goes down to your neck, and uh, and often it's it's really tight in the back. And loosening that up gives you so much more flexibility and and um, you know ability to communicate with all of your tools at your disposal. So that's really it. Breathing into connecting it to sound, uh, which can help with this mask and this chest resonance stuff. If you're just moving around and vibrating a little bit and, you know, you could even Tarzan, uh, right? Really getting sound into these places that sometimes it's just stuck and hasn't gone into for a while. And then connecting that with, you know, brrr, mm, 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 A, B, C, D, E, right? So, any of that stuff is going to put her in a better position than just not doing that stuff, you know? And that's for all of us.
2: This brings me to my next question from Karen. She says How should we respond when a male coworker or supervisor treats us in a sexist way, but is either unaware or is choosing to be unaware of their actions? How should we coach our male coworkers on their problematic jargon?
1: Oh, Yeah. Girl, I hear you. I know. I mean, this is obviously a collective thing, and it's a bummer that, you know, it feels like an individual thing because, you know, those of us who are alone in offices with people who don't look or sound like us, um, you know, inevitably have, like, added onus on us to solve the problem or to suck it up, and that's a bummer. Um, If you're interested in really solving it, which you don't have to be, you know? (laughs) I mean, you could also just, like... Suck it up, or leave the job or or, you know, have a closet to scream in. But if you get to the point where you really are committed to doing something, um, you know, everybody's office is different. If you have an ally who, you know, fits the description you're you're talking about, that's obviously the first person to talk to to get feedback from them on how to talk to the others. Um, but the main thing is, you know, Shanta told such an amazing story about a woman who Said something sort of accidentally racist, and it was Shanta's decision whether or not to call that out. Um, And I think you know, listen back to her episode to see how she dealt with it. But I think this strength and warmth thing really works in this context as well, assured and assuring, right? Finding um, an opportunity, you know, to to be very clear to say, like, I'm gonna, I would like to gather a few of us together to talk about something that's really been making. Uh, my workspace feel less productive for me uh, which you know obviously frames it like this is about work and this is about all of us getting on the same page about how to make something the most productive it can be and then saying you may very well not be aware of it and i'm you know sort of like pleased for you that no one else has ever had to tell you this that it, it must be nice but um there are certain ways that you're interacting with me that make me feel like i can't bring my full self into the space and if you're interested in what those are, I'd really like to tell you about them so that you can you know, think about ways to make some changes. And then, you know, you're appealing to people's like best selves, and if they're not interested in bringing their best selves to the table, you know, it's a it's a longer-term process. And, you know, the other thing I'll say is that conversation will go better if you've done all the other things I've talked about uh, today, I guess, beforehand, if you've danced it out, if you've worked on your breathing, if you've worked on speaking from a, in, you know, in a way where it feels like the content and the body language and the tone of voice are all in alignment. Because God, it's hard to have a difficult conversation and especially in a work context because obviously, you know, there's certain intimacies and then certain elements of mistrust or of just lack of, you know being on the same page with people and there's an element of, you know, my livelihood is at stake.
2: So what you're saying is don't call them a sexist asshole. You can do that part to
1: your friends as you're processing what you should say, (laughs) you know, or you can, I mean, whatever, like try that. I don't know. I mean, like really the point of use your voice to get what you want is like literally what works. I don't, I'm not really interested in, in what sounds like it would be flowery, but won't work you know, like, that's fine. Try it out. Go for, you know, call people whatever you want, you know, (laughs) like, I guess. But the reality is if we're really trying to get what we want, then we're trying to be heard. And, you know, there's all kinds of common ground lessons online. You can look up like how to build common ground. Often it's about setting the ground rules of we're all trying for the same thing. You know, your intention is to, you know, you're the, the, random dude that you work with your intention is to get this project done as efficiently and as, you know, easily as possible that's my intention too so that it's not, you know, you're a bad person cuz look so many of the dudes in our lives who are not as evolved as we'd like them to be are just products of their own shit right they're products of the same societal stuff we've had to deal with so you know yeah, it might be satisfying to call them out and say you're a sexist asshole, but it probably will be more useful to say, I bet you want this to be as productive as possible. Me too. You know, here's something we could work on together.
2: Right. And I think it, that creates long-term change instead of a an immediate reactive response.
1: And I will say also to bring it back to the Shanta story I started with, you know, the book White Fragility, which everybody is not a person of color should read, is really valuable for holding up a mirror to the ways in which we all get fragile when called on our stuff. And I bet that there's a sort of a sideways way into talking to the sexist people in your life by reading that book and thinking about the ways that we can all, um, you know, sort of communicate in a way that doesn't just rile um, defensiveness right away. And with that, we're going to jump to a quick break. Uh, We'll be back in just a minute. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public, the list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're
2: behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary... What's really terrifying, and even deadly, is distracted driving. Eyes forward, don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council.
3: Hey everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff, How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts.
0: It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting
3: What exactly are the duties of being a member of the wedding party?
0: All that plus so much more.
3: Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Grown Up Stuff.
2: So we're back. Uh, This is a question from Nicole. She says, how do you deal with imposter syndrome?
1: I was at a conference once, and the woman who is the president, former president of uh, Princeton University, who's the first woman president of any Ivy League school, she's like a decorated biologist, amazing woman. She raised like multiple billions of dollars for Princeton during her time there, um, was asked when she felt like she was enough. And it was on this stage in front of 3,000 women at a luncheon where we were all sitting at, like, circular tables. And she, her answer was this. She literally took the longest pause in the history of the world. And it was like, the penny just dropped for all of us. We were in these circular tables looking at each other across the table going, oh. This is just a thing, and it's I've read it's not even just a woman thing, you know. I think there's something so <sighs> freeing about the fact that imposter syndrome is as universal as it is, and the you know the more we're doing something challenging, the more we whatever it comes up for us, and we think we're we're not worthy of that place, and to just hear that that voice and say, "Oh hi." hi, hi, you know, I hear you, I see you, I'm not going to believe you, (laughs) you know, and it it doesn't necessarily solve it in the moment, but it does um, allow us to begin to have a relationship with that voice that isn't antagonistic. That's just saying, oh, you're probably trying to protect me, you know? Anyway, that's my feeling about imposter syndrome.
2: This question is from Michelle. I like this question a lot. I like all these questions, but this is great. When the show must go on, and you're entering a space where you have to speak to a large crowd, or maybe have a weird, awkward conversation with a boss or a coworker, or go on stage to perform your stand up routine, but you have massive anxiety, or you're coming out of a conversation or a moment where the brain space that you're in is not in your calmest, most ideal space, how do you change your state so that you can deliver your message clearly and effectively?
1: The moment before anything that's really high stakes, it's so valuable to take a second alone. To meditate for a second if you'd like, to breathe um, with no thoughts, but then to also have some really deliberate ones. To think about the people who bring you so much joy. To think about what makes you feel more confident, not less. And to also do something with your body, you know, whether it's listening to, you know, your favorite empowered woman singer. I actually, I was thinking about this. I would love for people to send in what their favorite music is right now. Maybe we can make like a Spotify playlist of people's favorites. Sort of like um great idea. Like, you know, as you're going onto the stage, like what's your, you know, theme song and it can keep changing, whatever. But, um, you know, dancing around a little bit, like loosening up. I mean... This can't not sound sexual, but loosening up your hips a little, loosening up the space uh, under your arms. When we're really uncomfortable, we often sort of, uh, you know, pin our elbows to the sides of our bodies. If we create a little space there, what we're really trying to do is, um, (laughs) the word trick came to mind. It's not quite as manipulative as that, but trick our bodies into remembering that open is just as much of an option as closed. And closed feels like a you know a go to place when we're scared, but open is a go to place when we when we um, when we really want to show our hearts. And the gamble that I think many of us um, can work our way into taking, whether it's a difficult conversation with one person or you know a complicated talk in front of thousands, the gamble is is that more open version of me with that my heart revealed gonna get what I want more. And the answer is probably yes, because probably what you want is for people to, you know, really hear you, whether it's about your product or about yourself or about them. So, you know, what can we do in that moment before where we're feeling all that anxiety to just get our body to actually do some, like, opening stuff? I mean, this is also where, like, the Amy Cuddy power pose comes into play. Like, yeah, it's pretty delightful to put your hands on your hips and try to be Wonder Woman. But that's also just a thing that opens up that exact space I was just talking about between your body and your, you know, underarms. Like, just finding a way to go, ah, I will reveal myself instead of conceal myself, or I will be open instead of closed. And we can do that with all the parts of our body. You know, we can do that with our fingers. We could do that. When we, get, when we get really anxious, everything closes up. So, you know, on a physical level as well as a mental level, we can think about opening. That's all it really is. And the other thing is, Uh, A little bit of nervous is okay. We've all heard at this point, like, you know, you can reframe nervous to be excited. Sometimes that works, you know. But also just know that we live in a society that is often telling us it's safer to care less. And I'm really interested in changing that, you know, changing our mindset around that because we love to see people care. We do. And we all lean in when we see that someone cares. And nerves is another way of saying I care. We can be nervous about something that matters to us. We don't have to apologize for it. I mean, I've I've definitely heard a lot of speeches that start with, I'm so nervous. Uh, I don't know if it actually helps to say, I'm so nervous or to say, "Woo, I'm excited to be here. Like, everyone knows what that means. It means like, whoa, I got lots of big feelings in my body. We can totally embrace. I got lots of big feelings in my body. Hi. Hi. Hi, everybody. (laughs) Um, And then then the other thing is, you know, if this is, if we are talking about um, a talk, then Uh, Something that I love to uh, remind people of, um, you know, obviously different for different contexts, but if there's any way that you can make the first thing that happens in your talk be a way of engaging your audience, asking them a question, asking for a show of hands or for applause or for, you know, nods if, you know, who's here because you know, who just read about blah, 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 just getting everybody to be in the same room together and to know that, like, we're all sharing a space, we're all breathing together, and we're all, you know, part of what's about to happen will also calm our nerves because then it's less about us and more about them. I took this amazing uh, online class uh, from a woman I'm going to have on the pod at some point called Feminist Business School. And the first rule of Feminist Business School is you have a body. There's so much to be said there, but I just remind myself of that a comical amount of times. You know, I think all of us have the ability to accidentally live too much in our heads and to try to sort of think our way out of stuff. And often our body has way more wisdom than we give it credit for. And we don't have to think we can like feel our way out of stuff, you know.
2: We got some great questions that I think we can kind of jam through here. A Samara speed round, if you will. Okay, Mm. so this is from Brandon. How do you know so many different dialects? Have you traveled a lot (laughs) or something? (laughs)
1: Um, So the secret with being a dialect coach is that you learn every accent as you go. It is not about um, keeping a billion of them in my head at once. It's about um, knowing what the project in front of me requires and then doing like a little bit of delightfully nerdy research. You know, I did a project most recently before everything got shut down for coronavirus where I was working with two actors who were uh, not from the U.S. on a... 1950s, North Carolina, African-American vernacular accent from two people who were educated and ambitious, but living on a farmhouse. So that's not like, oh, I got that one in my back pocket, you that's, know? <laughs> I mean, on purpose, the dream, the dream, it's the simple, whole really, the whole idea of our voice reflects our life experience is that every single person, and this goes for all of us, every single person sounds different from every other person. And that's, you know, Really liberating, especially I have to say, when I work with actors for whom English is their second language or who are British working on an American accent, which you know is the other other half of, of, of the dialect work. Um, you know, it there's not one right way to speak American English. We all know this because we don't sound exactly like our parents and we don't sound exactly like our best friend. And that is fine. It's cool. I mean, it's revealing of how much we are all, you know, globalized in terms of what we're seeing on our on YouTube, if not, you know, traveling ourselves. And certainly not traveling right now, um, but yeah. So it is about breaking down all the sounds of a native speaker. I find that seems like it, it's really telling the right story for the project at hand, and breaking down those sounds using something called the International Phonetic Alphabet, which is delightfully useful and a bit of a secret code.
2: I think that you actually one time wrote my name out in this way or sounded my name out in this way. Maybe that's something we can share.
1: What's really cool about IPA, International Phonetic Alphabet, not the beer, beer's great too, uh, is that um, it, it takes all the guesswork out. So, you know, there's 26 letters in English, but if you look at the letter A in a word you don't know, say, um, it literally could be ah, like apple, ah, like father, a, like long A. It could be uh like about, or it could be aw like oh, how cute. That's five different sounds with one symbol. So International Phonetic Alphabet solves that by having five different symbols. So it's really annoying to learn. But once you know it, you can break down every single, you know, sound, uh, word, phrase in this um, secret code. And, you know, it's shareable across cultures. And linguists learn it. Dialect coaches learn it. A lot of actors learn it. Um, you know, opera singers, I guess, uh, speech pathologists. That's another place that um, International Phonetic Alphabet comes in handy. And it's so cool. I mean, yeah, there's a learning curve, but so is like learning music. And then you can play music.
2: (laughs) Okay. Next question from Leslie. Do you have a mom voice? And if so, what is it and why? And do you have any tips on how to speak with your children in a clear and gentle manner, but also stand in your power when times get wild, especially Mm. these days? Well, I did talk about a lot of that before,
1: um, but what can I add? I try as hard as possible to make my mom voice and my not-mom voice match. I really have a physical discomfort with um, talking to kids in a voice that feels really young Uh there's something biological like there like uh, there are studies that show that across cultures people talk to babies in the same way and our voice goes up and we make you know little little cute uh, sing-songy sounds so like whatever I do not mean to demonize any of that but when we're at the point where we're trying to communicate with them like people I think it's really valuable to not just ask them to speak in their strong voice but to use our strong mm-hmm. voice back to them and you know I use the strong voice quote unquote because that was you know something that I picked up along the way. Uh, now I should probably call it the strong and warm voice, right?
2: So this brings us to our next question, which has to do with children, which has to do with uh, Gavin's question. Do you think that birth order plays a role in the way that we speak and use our voice?
1: Oh my God, totally. I, it's the same thing. It's part of the, I should I should add that to my list of stuff I rattle off when I say that, you know, your voice is uh, is a reflection of your life experience. Of course. How did you need to get heard when you were a kid? Literally. What did you need to do to get hurt? If you're an only child, the answer is just different, you know?
2: Next question. Samara's best opening lines for dating apps like Bumble where the woman messages first. <laughs> Ooh, I like that.
1: <laughs> I just love, I just love that I'm like suddenly the expert in this as well. <laughs> but I will say, I met my husband online dating, so um, I'll, I'll take it. I'm clearly an expert. Um, I think that I would love to get feedback from people who are on those dating apps right now to see what feels really empowering when you post an opening. But um, I know that what worked for me and that feels like it's very much like in keeping with my, my ethos when it comes to all this other stuff is I would state my intention and also leave it very open-ended. I would say something like, you seem really great. Check out my, you know, whatever, my stuff and uh, tell me if you agree. So that you're, you are being vulnerable up top. You're saying, I'm interested, but you're also saying, hey, you know, take a look at me if you're not interested in me, whatever. I've moved on already. So there's a nice sort of give and take of being vulnerable, but not so vulnerable that you feel like you've given all your power away. And I think that's the whole idea with, um, you know, first steps of a dating app is to say I'm I'm open, but I'm not so open you can walk all over me.
2: Permission to online date, I say. Go for it. <laughs> Not permission
1: to, like, you know, let it come to fruition quite quite yet. Um, so, like, maybe don't make your opening so good that, you know, you break your, uh, your, your social isolation. Um, truly, <laughs> I love these questions. I love that people are thinking about their vocal drama. Obviously, there's a possibility I did not solve every single problem person's problem um, with this. But I also, I mentioned that not to apologize, but to say that um, even having a space to talk about this stuff, to sort of um, validate that this stuff is real, I think is, ver- is very valuable because a lot of us just worry that we're the only person who's ever wondered about our voice and its power. So uh, you are not. I am thinking about it all day, every day. Um, no, but but truly, um, I'm thrilled to have you guys on this journey with me and Kat, I'm thrilled to have had you, um, I want to say in my studio, but obviously um, only in my in my mind. Um, thank you for joining me for this. In your Zoom chat. Yeah. Yeah. You Zoomed with me so hard.
2: <laughs> well, thank you for having me. And thank you, yes, to all of our listeners. Please keep your questions coming. They're so relevant. You're in this together. We're all in this together. And this is a space where we're creating a real community around our voice and how we sound and standing in our power. And it's important more than ever to, to feel connected and heard. And we hear you and we, we see you. And thank you, Samara, for being such a great voice and for sharing all your tips
1: my pleasure i feel like you know what this what this what this time has really felt like for me is a reminder especially when some of our nations leaders are making so little sense and are so untrustworthy it's really been like such a lesson in how leadership just is not about the title you have it's about what you're doing with your you know communication who you're bringing along with you, what information you're getting out there for other people and you know just to for all of us to feel like um whether it's because of crisis or not no matter who we are we all get to say i can be of use to somebody and i can be of use to myself by being of use to somebody and whether we're doing that on zoom or on you know igtv or whatever right now to the people in our own lives and our in our small spaces um i just want everybody to feel like we have your back
2: We have your back. And what I love about samara all of your comments are built upon kindness. And that right now is so important to stay kind. So stay kind, stay healthy, stay sane. Permission to speak. Woohoo!
1: Thank you to everybody who sent in questions and thank you all for listening. I'm throwing a bunch of stuff we referenced in the show notes this week. And as always, check us out at PermissionToSpeakPod on Instagram or at PermissionToSpeakPod.com to submit questions for a future mailbag episode or to submit good quotes for the opening or just to tell me what you're feeling. Thanks as well to Sophie Lichterman and the team at iHeartRadio, my family and cohort and all of you. We're recording this podcast at various locations around Los Angeles (laughs) on land that used to belong to the Tongva indigenous tribe. And you can visit usdac.us to learn more about honoring native land. Permission to Speak is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Vision, executive produced by Catherine Burke Canton and Mark Canton. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows.
0: Jack, mommy and daddy are reporting. Oh, hello. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22.
3: It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires
2: me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council.
3: Hey, everyone. This is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff, How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts.
0: It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting.
3: Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more.
0: Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Grown Up Stuff. Grown up stuff.